Welcome to the WIPS Podcast, inspiring and empowering women to take the stage and up their game in the public speaking arena. My name is Chantal Bosset from Shabbos, leaders for your presentation, public speaking, and AV needs. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. My guest today is Kathy Gruber, and she's from Santa Barbara, California. Welcome, Kathy. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. And thank you for bearing with me. I had a little trouble getting on with you this morning. (laughs) So let's just start off right away and tell our listeners, what's your business? What do you do? Sure. So I'm a motivational speaker, uh, mainly on mindset, stress reduction, positivity, communication, that sort of thing for both personal and professional development. So I work with individuals and organizations as well as corporations. I have a massage and hypnotherapy practice. I've written seven books. I used to be an actor and I'm a trapeze artist. Wow. What (laughs) a varied experience. (laughs) How did you come to do all these things? Oh, geez, which one? Um, I started acting when I was in about fifth grade, and the bug got me. And so it became this natural progression through things like massage and hypnotherapy into studying more and more about health, doing more one-on-one type of consulting sessions as opposed to actually hands-on stuff. And then I started writing, and I started speaking, and uh, the speaking came very naturally, of course, because I've been on stage since I was a kid. That's right. Uh, and going back to the one of these things is not like the other. With trapeze, uh, I try, I, I'm an adventure junkie. To me, everything I do enhances my experience as a human being, enhances my experience on this planet in this time. And so I thought I'd try it once and see what happened. And I'm hooked. I've been doing it for about five years now. Oh, well, that is so amazing, Kathy. That is something that we could even look upon to. It means that we can do so many things in life, which is incredible at the same time. And with everything you said, though, I would be interested to know, how was your first public speaking experience? Oh, (laughs) Uh, it was for a small local here in Santa Barbara. There was a, a vegan restaurant or vegetarian restaurant, and they were doing this like Wednesday night for health kind of thing. And they were having all of these speakers come in. And somebody said, hey, they're doing this thing. You, I was one of the speakers. You should go do it. So I submitted a talk to the woman who was running it. And she said, no, that's a horrible idea. Oh. I went, okay. So I submitted a second idea. And she's like, no, no, I don't like that one either. And I submitted a third one. And she goes, no, we just had someone do that. So I'm like, what else do you have? And I started to get this feeling that she just really hated me. I mean, oh, look, wow. I mean, she was so terse to me and just like everything that I submitted to her, she just shot down practically before she even read it. So I finally said, all right, here's one you can't turn down. And I created this talk. Basically, I don't remember the name of it. It was so many years ago. Something to the effect of how to be miserable the rest of your life, how to ensure you're going to be fat, unhappy, and unhealthy until you die. I love something that. To, something to that effect. And I did this whole talk on everything you should do if you just want to be miserable. Eating bad, stressing out, focusing on the negative stuff. And I did this whole tongue-in-cheek talk on, like, why would we want to have a bowel movement every day? That's a waste of time. We have other stuff to do. Of course you should have seven sodas. Because at that time, I was more into 
alternative medicine and, and general health than I was the stress and the mindset. And so this is the progression of things. But I spoke to maybe, there's probably 20 people there. And I did this whole talk. At that point, I don't even know that I had a book to sell. I might, my first book might have been out. But, you know, I'm in this restaurant, dimly lit. And she started to read my bio and then finally went, oh, I don't know. You, you tell them who you are. And she just sort of tossed the bio. <laughs> standing there going, okay, is this the world of public speaking? Like, is this what I'm going to be faced with the rest of my life if I decide I want to do this? And then I realized, no, she just she just sort of had it out for me for some reason. And I, I don't know why. I don't know. I didn't know her. I mean, it's not like I'm going <laughs> to this woman. But yeah. So it was, um, it was a very, very weird experience. The talk was fun. I got a lot of laughs. I love comedy. Uh, my father is one of the funniest people ever. I love telling jokes. I love puns. I love making people laugh. So once I realized I could do that as me sharing information and not the wacky character in a play, because that's, you know, I was that kind of actress. Uh, I was so fueled and I was so inspired and I'm like, oh, where else can I do this? And so it launched from there. I was totally, totally addicted to that type of speaking. Wow. It all comes to say that it can be difficult to start with. That's proof. That first experience was kind of weird. But it was weird. <laughs> at, the way it probably turned down, it must have been hilarious to be in that room and listen to all the reasons to make our lives miserable. I love that. Yeah, I had, and then, oh, you know, I guess my first book wasn't out because following that, I actually put a chapter in my first book called um, How to Be Unhealthy. And so I did this entire, basically like to-do list of here's everything in your life, body, mind, and spirit you can do wrong to make yourself miserable. And I used to get in, in this, in the entire book, that chapter used to get so much attention. And when I would do radio interviews or people would talk about the book, they're like, oh, oh, read us some of your list. And so pretty much every book I've written subsequently to that includes that list. And then a friend of mine who was helping me edit the book, she said, Kathy, I'm, I'm practically suicidal after reading your list. Like I'm so depressed after reading that <laughs> list. Could you please put in a positive things to do list. So now I have the, the how to be unhealthy list. And then later in the book, I have the, okay, let's get serious people. Here's how to be positive. You know, here's how, all the good stuff you should do. So, but yeah, I got, I got a lot of mileage out of that tongue in cheek. Uh, uh, but kind of stuff. I really love that because it comes out with something that you're playing with for on and on and on in everything you do finally. And Even though, okay, that one was weird. Would you have any other challenging experience that you would be able to share and what you learned from it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm in Santa Barbara and I was asked to do a sort of like writer's conference book festival, this huge event up in Sacramento. And I have in-laws up there. So I contacted them and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be doing this event. It would be so great to have you. And they're very into books. They're like all PhDs. And so I drove up to Sacramento and I spent the night in this adorable little hotel. And I got up and I set up my booth. And I stood at my booth. I stood at my booth for a very, very long time with like nobody coming by. Uh, the, the event was sort of well advertised, but for some reason, not very well attended. So they decided because my talk was going to be so popular, they put me in the big room and the big room sat like 400 people. <gasps> and it was me and my three in-laws in no the way. big room. And there is nothing worse than having a gigantic room with nobody in it. Now, Absolutely. Our, 
our rule as actors in community theater, in black box theater in Hollywood was, if the audience outnumbers the cast, you do the show. So if you have four cast members, you got to have five audience. That was just sort of our unwritten rule. And I looked out and I saw my three in-laws and I went, well, they outnumber me. I guess I'm speaking. <laughs> and so this woman, it, I don't care. That's fine. I'll speak to anybody. You know, anybody can learn from anybody. So this volunteer comes in the back of the auditorium and she's like way back there. And she goes, hey, do you need anything? And I said, yes. Can you grab me 20 people? And she goes, <laughs> okay. And she walks out. And I'm thinking, wait, what? Like, where's she going? And about five minutes later, she troops in with 20 people. No she, way. Went in, she went into the volunteer lounge where everybody was on break and said, hey, you guys are coming to listen to this talk. And they all went, okay. And she walked me in 20 audience members. That was they, cool. <laughs> they sat in the first couple rows. So I just pretended it was a very small space. I'm an actor. I can do this. I like, you know shrunk my room, didn't look at the hundreds of seats behind them that were open. And you know what? I, Cause then my thought was, Oh, these people don't want to be here. They were just dragged in here to fill seats. It's like the seat fillers at the Academy Awards. And I got to say though, they were so into it. They bought books. I ended up sort of mentoring one of them. And the lesson there was the show one, the show must go on. And two, ask for what you want. I said, I want 20 people. Literally five minutes later, I had 20 people, which <laughs> was this just hilarious lesson of, you know, just ask for it, just ask for it and do it, you know, and it ended up being a phenomenal talk. And I think the other thing is, I don't care if you're speaking to five people, if you're speaking to 5 million people, you need to do the same level of professionalism. You need to have the courtesy and the respect to give those five people the same performance that you would give to the queen. Uh, so that was interesting too. It's like, I mean, I always do just because that's sort of my breeding <laughs> as an actor. You just always do your best. But I could see some people going, eh, who cares? I'll just give them my shorter thing. You know, no, you give them your stuff. You give them your best stuff every time. Oh, absolutely. And the worst thing that ha can happen is that you had a very good practice, even though at first you think they don't have a clue what I'll be talking about. And they didn't want to be there to start with. Uh, at least it's good practice and hell knows that we better practice our talks if we want to make sure it's going to be seam seamless and also be able to connect with the audience afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right in, in talking about practicing. I mean, and also if there's times where you want to try out a new story, if you want to try out how a new slide is going to land, that's probably more the audience to do it, you know. <laughs> The freebie that you're doing for 20 people as opposed to the people that are giving you 10 grand for a keynote. Hey, let me try something new and see how that lands. <laughs> probably not the best time to, to, to tell the funky story about the Thanksgiving dinner if you don't know how it's going to be received. Because I've had, usually my stories land well. I've had a couple that, no, I think they've all pretty, I, I've not had any catastrophe stories. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you want to you wanna hone your craft. And it's better to do it with 20 people who volunteered to be there as opposed to the, the big high paid gig. So yeah, it was, it was, I actually had fun. I enjoyed my time with my in-laws and on stage. Well, that's a, a very good tip and learning point for our listeners. Whatever the number in the audience, just do your best and your proof. That was, it ended up being a great talk and uh, had a lot of positive things come out of it anyway. <laughs> And besides that, now let's go on the other side. What would be your greatest memory from taking the stage as a public speaker? Oh, yeah. It was actually one of my first 
big associations. And I decided that, you know, I'm thinking, how do you find talks? How do you find these gigs? And so I literally would sit there. I'm a huge NFL fan. So this was around football season. So I would sit on the couch. I'm a Steeler fan, so I'd have the Steeler game on. I'd have the TV on all day. I'd have the terrible towel next to me in case something good happened. I could whoop it above my head. I had my laptop there, my glass of iced tea and or wine, depending on time of day. And I would literally sit there and Google, call for speakers, call for speakers women, call for speakers health, call for speakers nutrition. And I would literally sit there for hours doing this research. It took so much legwork. And I found a couple call for speakers and I would submit for them. And now at this point, I certainly was not getting paid to be a speaker because I was brand new in that realm. But I found this, this association, they were having a conference in New Orleans. It was like one of the last places in the States I'd wanted to go that I hadn't been. And so I submitted for this conference. And, you know, six weeks later, I get this email, congratulations, we've accepted your proposal for this conference in New Orleans. And I was like, oh my God, my first like big one, first big talk, didn't pay, but that's okay. Second, oh my God, I get to go to New Orleans. I'm so excited. Start to plan the trip. I sign up for every activity they offer because I want to be in New Orleans. And about a week before I leave, my husband said, because I said I'm going to this conference, I'm not going to say the initials because it's actually embarrassing. But I, I said the initials for the conference. He goes, what is that? And I suddenly realized I had no clue what oh. conference I was speaking for. Well, you got excited. <laughs> Didn't even think about it. And I went, oh, crap, I should figure that out. Well, it ended up being uh, a conference for 911 dispatchers. Now, that was not my rose, an APCO conference. I, I suppose I've already given it away. Um, APCO, which is this huge like communications organization. I had no clue who it was. And I suddenly realized, oh, shoot, I better do my research. <laughs> I have a very dear friend who's a, uh, uh, who's a 911 dispatcher. So I talked to her, hoped, you know, changed my presentation, because these people are dealing with actual stress. This is not made up in your head stress. This is like real first responder stress. So I show up to the event and I'm thinking, who's going to come hear my talk? This is, you know, I don't know. Da, da, da. And I'm doing my thing. I'm doing my thing. And I look up and they put me in a room that sat about 125 people. And by the time I got five minutes into my talk, it was standing room only. And there was close to 200 people trying to shove in the room. Oh, they wow. actually opened up the double doors so that people were, I mean, people were in the hallway waiting to hear my talk. And it was so exciting because I saw that the I saw the effect that I was having. I saw the, the the benefits that these people were getting from the techniques that I was teaching. And at one point, I teach this mini meditation, um, and I was having them relax, relax, relax. And I look to the very back of the room, and there's a gentleman standing there, and I'm watching him slowly sink to the floor. And everyone has their eyes closed because I'm leading this guided meditation. <laughs> And I'm watching this man like drop to the ground very slowly. And I realized he was just so relaxed. He just slowly and gently lowered himself to the ground until he was sitting on the floor because there was standing room only. But it was just, it was just such a fun conference. I met amazing people. I got exposed to the the 911 industry, which has been a, a consistent audience for me. And it was standing room only and everyone loved it. I got so many compliments, so many amazing um, so many amazing pieces of info from that group. And so that was, that was really, that was one of the outstanding ones for me. Um, it is amazing. I, I love all of them, but that, that one definitely stands out as, as stellar for me. And I think, as you mentioned, seeing the effect that we have, how people react to what we teach to them. That's amazing. That's the transformation we want to achieve as good public speakers really amazing story. Wow. I love that one, which leads me to 
and it's probably the same for almost all your speaking engagements. How do you prepare for either speech presentation? Well, because I started, I now have my back pocket speech, which is the one that's requested most of me, which is my stress reduction talk. So I don't fuss with it much. I might, there's certain, I use PowerPoint, love PowerPoint. I know a lot of speakers are like, ah, PowerPoint. I love it as I use it more as visual sight gags. I don't use a lot of words on my PowerPoint. I, I will, you know, if I'm talking about here are some warning signs of stress, I will absolutely list those on a PowerPoint slide because some people read them. Some people want to take a picture of it. So they have it for later. But most of my slides really are quizzes, sight gags, funny cartoons, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So I make sure my PowerPoint is geared towards that audience. Yes. I have been to so many talks where, you know, they have 150 slides in their slide deck and they'll just scroll through them. Oh, now I want to talk about this. And they'll scroll through. Oh, now I'm going to talk about this. And I'm thinking, how are you not freaking customizing that to this talk? Why are you rapidly spinning, practically putting us into a state of seizure, flipping through your slides so fast. I just, I think that's so offensive and unprofessional. It is. Customize our, you know, know how long your talk is. Don't get to the end and go, oh, I guess I'm not, okay, I don't, don't have time for that. Flip, 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 flip. Oh, don't have time for that. Flip, 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 flip. Oh, okay. What, what, why do you not know how long your talk is? <laughs> I mean, that's just, that's one thing. Um, mm. So I make sure my slides are in alignment with that. I make sure I've communicated with whoever booked me on who's going to be in the audience. You know, so I just did home health professionals. Is this the actual nurses? Is this HR? Is this the people answering the phone? Is this accounting? Like, who am I talking to? Are these in the field people? Are these behind the scenes people? It's slightly different what I'm focusing on. Uh, so I want to know who I'm speaking to. I want to absolutely know who I'm talking, how long I'm speaking. Uh, do you want me to bring books? Am I allowed to bring books? Can I mention I have books? Some people don't let you do that. Mm -hmm. I respect that. Um, and then I just, I don't do a lot of prep. I don't run through my talk because I know it now well enough. I know how long it's going to go. I know what components take what time. So it's sort of all crafted in my head. I make sure I meditate before I go on stage. I do a really short mini meditation. Even if I'm sitting there in the audience with everybody, I do that. And then I just grab my iced tea and I sit there and I have fun with everybody. So yeah, I don't do tons of prep. Well, Probably not anymore, but I'm sure because of all the practice and the experience you have, that's the reason why. <laughs> because yeah. in a way, you've been practicing for so long that that's why now it doesn't take that long when you need to prepare right. for a new engagement. And I like the point that you just made and have fun. That's what I tell my clients all the time. Please, you know, Put on your best smile and enjoy the ride. Have fun with it. Yeah, That's exactly. so important. Well, and because I have the acting background, I'm one of the things I hear all the time is that it's fun, it's funny, it's engaging, that sort of thing. But I get compliments about how my tone varies. And when I tell stories, I mean, I might throw in a different voice when I'm talking about the woman that taught me meditation or, you know, I make it a performance. And when I coach speakers, I think that's what I really try to pull out of them is it's a performance. Anybody can stand up there and read. And that's, again, one of the things I see with other speakers where I go, oh, my God, what are you doing? You know, they stand there and they either read it off a piece of paper or they turn their back to you and they read the PowerPoint. <laughs> you should be able to do your entire talk and not look at your PowerPoint. Now, I, I understand we use it as a trigger. It's a timing trigger for me sometimes. Occasionally, I switch the order of things, which I should just stop doing because I'm so used to doing it the way I do it. I've gotten myself out of order. Uh, but if your PowerPoint <laughs> dies and you have no slides, 
you should be able to do your talk. You Absolutely. You should not have to read it. Uh, and it's it's interesting. I don't get nervous before I speak at all. I mean, like, there's not even a moment of nervousness. And I was hearing another speaker say, you know, for those of you that get nervous, don't worry about it. Every speaker gets nervous. Every good speaker gets nervous. And I raised my hand and I went, excuse me. No, we don't. And she looked at me. She went, what? And I said, well, I just want to correct you because not every speaker gets nervous. So to make a blanket statement like that, I just I just want to correct you. I can't speak for anybody else but me. I don't get nervous. And I didn't mean to like negate what she was saying, but to make a blanket statement like that, to comfort someone else, I was like, no, some get nervous. There's ways to get over that. Not all of us do. So let me just, let me just fix that. And I agree with you. Some people might not feel nervousness. Some of them will probably just label it as being excited because they want to share with others. It's totally different. It's not the nerve wracking thing that so many people are scared about, but I, I agree with you. There's no way we should put everyone in the same boat and say, everybody gets nervous. Right, right, right. Yeah. And if it's so paralyzing, um, maybe either one, this is not the profession for you (laughs) or two, you know, maybe some hypnosis, some meditation. There's, there's ways to get over that nervousness. As a hypnotherapist, I've helped people with public speaking. So there's, I could do this great combo of speaking, coaching and hypnosis. Uh, It's it's a beautiful combo, but yeah, it's, it's, it shouldn't be that terrifying to you. (laughs) It should not. There are so many ways. I agree with you. And uh, another way I also share with people, I say, you know what, if you stop putting every word on your slides, that's when you'll stop being so nervous because you think you'll forget something. Make it yes. a visual thing that accompanies what you say, and then you'll find it liberating to talk to people because it is going to complement what you say. Yes, and I love that you brought up that point. I think I do not write out a speech and then memorize it, and I completely agree with you. I think the pressure of that then is what was I going to say next? What's my next line? What's my next word? And when I did my TEDx, I didn't memorize it. I mean, it's just, I, I told three stories. I didn't, I know the stories. I didn't need to memorize it, but, but there were a couple other speakers there who clearly wrote out their talk and clearly memorized it because they would get to a point and, uh, they would get to a point and, and they were desperately trying to remember their next line. And I'm thinking, yes. you know, the essence of what you're saying, it's about the essence of it. It's about delivering that message, not giving a line reading. Uh, you're not doing a play where the playwrights in the audience and they're going to chastise you for messing up their words. These, uh-huh. are, these are your experiences. And so get comfortable with the essence of it and don't put so much emphasis on, I have to get every word that I wrote down. <laughs> Oh, I totally agree with you. Well, it actually reminds me of a speaker I work with for her TEDx, and she had learned everything word by word. And for me, I worked so she would move away from that because I say, if you feel and sound like a robot, it won't be impactful. And finally, she did make it through. She forgot that robotic sound to it. But boy, are you right. You really need, people just need to put back confidence in themselves because they know their stories. If they crafted well what they had to say, well, it's easy to remember. It's your story. It's what you went through. Yeah, exactly. No, I remember a woman literally reading her own background. And then I attended such and such nursing school and she's reading this and I'm thinking, no. you don't know where you went. I mean, like she literally, and I was so disappointed because I so wanted to hear her content, 
but she was such a horrible presenter. And there was one conference I used to go to every year as an attendee and finally became one of their speakers. And I would have two notebooks open. I would have a notebook for content of things that I wanted to learn. And then I would have a notebook or at least a page for speaking observations and like, what are people doing right and wrong that I can observe? And I remember just, I actually had to leave her talk. It was so horribly presented. And I was so disappointed because her content was incredible, but her presentation, and I wanted to go up to her afterwards and go, can I help you with that? But I was brand new. I didn't, you know, I wasn't coaching speakers at that point, but I've actually done that to people now. I'm like, can I give you a couple tips? And people want to be better. They want to be better, you know? So, yeah. Well, Makes me happy to see that I'm not the only one with the two notebooks thing when I attend something. <laughs> I feel left less alone in my case. Oh, good. <laughs> and I want to wrap this up with, because you already shared so many great tips, but do you have one that would probably stand out that would help women be more empowered on the stage? Yeah, just acknowledge that you have a voice. Mm. I think... I think that's a huge problem for women, whether they're asking for their double latte at a coffee place or they're wanting to ask someone out on a date or whether they're just, we've been silenced for so long and there's this still strong perception in society that we don't have a voice that either we're too loud and we're too much or we're not worthy. And I think we have to realize that what we say matters, that we don't have to go around apologizing for who we are. We don't have to be apologizing for existing Uh, that we have the right to speak our truth. And so when you go to it from that place of this empowered, look, I have a message. I have something of value to share. Then, then that's what it is. I mean, just, just speak your truth, say who you are, say what you stand for, smile, breathe, have fun and, and, and roar. Just let people know who you are. Oh, I love that roar. (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, Kathy, you shared so many great, and valuable information for listeners. I'm sure they they should even come back and listen. But besides that, I'll also make sure that we share with them at least two links where they can connect with you, see what you do, and even contact you for whatever the reason, if they feel that they need what you do, and make sure that they can keep track of what you're doing. So I do thank you very much for sharing all this knowledge and valuable information today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please tell us what you think by commenting and even share with your own networks to inspire and empower others to do public speaking. 